Welcome to Calvary Chapel Living Hope. Thanks for joining us. We pray that God will transform your life through today's message. Nime Tosheka. If you go to uh, Africa, you're going to need this word. So say it with me. Nime Tosheka. And you might forget it now, but you're going to need it. So call me up and say, what was that word? When you go into another culture, there are certain uh, words that you need to learn in the language of those people. You just basic things you have to know. You have to know uh, how to say, how much does it cost? That's a great thing for you to be able to say when you get to another call. Another thing that you want to say is, where is the bathroom? I mean, these are very practical things that you must be able to say in another language. Well, nime tosheka is an important word that you use when you're eating a meal with people in uh, Kenya. Because when they uh, are serving you, it's not like you go and serve yourself. But the host comes to your plate and puts food on your plate. And so you eat that food. And when you're done with it, she comes and puts more on your plate. And it gets very uncomfortable after a while. So you have to use the word nime tosheka, which means I'm satisfied. And when she hears the word nime tosheka, she says, oh good, he's satisfied. This idea of being satisfied with this food is very important because they want you to experience their hospitality, their Kenyan hospitality, by giving you as much as you have, it can take until you're satisfied. Now, that idea of being satisfied, I think, is important for any of us, not just in Kenya, but in our own lives, and especially as we look at our own hearts. I think we need to say, Nime Tosheka, to our hearts sometimes, to say, you're satisfied, you don't need that other thing there. Because sometimes we're always looking for other things to satisfy us. And God does this satisfaction thing in our hearts. And Paul's going to talk about it today. Paul's going to talk about this idea of being content. And so open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And I'm going to tag on verse 19, since this is our last sermon in the book. And it ties in with the same idea. So in your Bibles, in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, and verse 19, let me read these verses to you. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's our word, content. It's nime tosheka, I'm satisfied. That's Swahili. This is uh, the word content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Do you see the any and every? This is the in any and every principle. We've already saw seen this back in verse uh, six of the same passage we saw that, Jesus, that uh, Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything make your request known to God. That was the anything, everything principle that we all need in our lives. In other words, this is not just for some parts of our life. This is for any and every. I have learned in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ, for, through him who strengthens me, and verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. Let's just look at the first word there that we've got to talk about is this word need. Now the word need, pop to the next slide there, Joan. The word need is mentioned these two times, and it is the word that could be translated need or want. In fact, some translators do use the word want here. Not that I'm speaking of being in want. And uh, so it's hard. The translator's got to figure out, am I going to put want or need here? It's not quite sure which word to put. The ESV, which we're reading here, is the word need. 
But sometimes even in our own lives, it's hard to tell between our needs and our wants, isn't it? I mean, sometimes um, people uh, describe their wants as something they really need. Sometimes it's physical things like I need new shoes, or I need another shirt, or I need a new car, or I need a better house. Okay, So we describe our wants sometimes in physical ways, but other times there are things inside of our heart that we want. And they affect our emotions, too. So I want control of the situation. Or why want things to go in my favor here? Or um, I want revenge. And so we, we have this, it almost comes out like a need. I need this in order to be satisfied. This idea of need, is, it really comes from this sense of desire. We have desires in our heart. Remember I described the, the heart this way. You go into a room of your heart. If we're understanding a biblical understanding of the heart, it's like going into a room, and over on this one side of the room are the desires. You remember the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we know desires exist inside of the heart of a person. And they're over here saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, I want, I want. And they kind of take over the heart sometimes because they're so strong. And because we start to think that these are things that I need in order to have satisfaction. Now, Paul's making a very important statement here about these desires that we need to curb them. Because desires, when they get too strong, damage relationships. They damage our hearts. They, they create problems in our lives. So the wants are very important, and we must put a boundary up around them. I appreciate my father I remember he said this statement a lot when I was growing up. I really didn't like it when he said it when I was young, but now I really appreciate it. He said this, tell me what you need, and I'll tell you how you can do without it. I like that, because sometimes I think, I need this, I need this. And uh, so our needs become, that our wants really kind of extend themselves beyond what they should in our lives, and we almost have a plan for our desires. Because desires going the wrong direction turn into temptations. And temptations turn into bad things in our lives. So we must be able to set limits on our desires that are in our hearts. That's the word need used twice here. But you probably saw that there's another word need down there in the last passage. I circled that one as well. But that's a different word for need. You can't see it in English, but in the Greek, it's a different Greek word for need. It is the word that means necessity. This is like real needs. And so that's why in this verse it says, my God will supply every need. All the things you really need, that's what God's going to supply. But these other ones that are above, they could be needs, but maybe they're wants, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between them. And so here's this idea of needs in this last verse that says God's going to supply those things for you. But let's not confuse the wants and the needs, it seems that Paul is saying here as he's describing this particular idea. The challenge with desires is, here's what they say. Desires, or wants, say they promise something. They promise that satisfaction will come when I get that thing. Oh, when that happens, then I'll be satisfied. But it's a promise that is never fulfilled. So you might have temporary satisfaction to get there. Let's say you're playing a computer game and you go, oh, I can hardly wait to get to the next level. And you get to the next level... And when you get to the next level, you're not satisfied. You want to get to the next level. Now, that might happen with a teenager playing a video game, but it happens with adults when they look at their bank account. I want to get it to this level. Oh, I'm there. Okay, now I'm going to get it to the next level. And so there's a promise in every desire that gives the impression we will be satisfied when we get it. And that promise isn't fulfilled. 
In fact, the challenge that we have with our desires is that they can get us into significant problems. That's what James says in James 4.2. He says, you desire, that's another word for want here, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, that's another word for desire, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask a God. The idea that James is saying is that conflict in life often happens because of our desires that get out of control. They get out of bounds. You see, here's what happens with desires. They start as desires, and then they turn into expectations. And then the expectations are desires that get really strong, that it should be this way. So now we get mad at, at you might get mad at your spouse because she didn't put your seat back in the right place when she drove your car where it should be. Or you might get mad because she because he, when he went out to buy the, some groceries, didn't buy the exact brand of whatever you wanted. Now we have these expectations, and those desires turn into expectations. And when expectations get to be firm, they turn into demands. And then we become a demanding person. And then we're more prone to get angry in our lives with others, and that's why we quarrel. I think this great verse is great for, for marriage relationships. That sometimes we want, want, want something from our spouse, and then we say, oh... They must not love me if they don't do this. I mean, we turn this into a whole problem because we don't get what we want. So desires are a very important part of our lives. We must have boundaries around them. I like to tell young people the story of um, Bill, who was coming down for dinner, and he knew that they were we were having spaghetti for dinner. But he comes down, and he finds out that there's no meatballs. Now, if it was a wish, he would say, I wish we had meatballs with our spaghetti. If it's a desire, he might say, I like meatballs with my spaghetti. But he's demanding. So he says, what? Where's the meatballs? I'm not eating that stuff. Who could make spaghetti without meatballs? And so that's the kind of attitude we have sometimes, that I have to have it my way. And if it's not my way, well, then we end up with these quarrels. We end up with these fighting that takes place in our lives. I just want, I'm trying to illustrate the, the fact that it's important for us to put curbs on our desires at any age, in any situation, every time, any and every, we must put some limits. So what do we do? How do we put limits on those things? Well, let's go to another passage where Paul is talking in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says this, and he takes it back to salvation. This is what's so cool about salvation. He says, salvation is important. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So when you get saved, good things happen. A lot of benefits happen in your life. But here's one of the things that salvation does for you. It teaches us to say no. That's what we have to say to these desires. We have to say, nope, sorry. We're going to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's another word for desires. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Every one of us must have a plan for dealing with the desires in our lives because desires get out of control and they create conflict with others and they create um, dissatisfaction with us. We need Nima Tesheka. I am satisfied. We must say that to our desires or we find ourselves in uh, significant danger. So that's what um, Paul is saying here. You must say no to yourself. I think this is why we say no to children. We teach children to live within limits because sometimes children believe that boredom is a parent's responsibility to fix. I'm bored as if parents are the activities directors for their children. But the reality is a person who's bored really can be satisfied with what they have. Just look around and deal with what you have already. So Paul is saying, I've learned in any and every situation to experience this idea of contentment. In fact, let's go back to that particular word in the passage. 
where it says content, satisfied. I've learned to be content. Here's the important thing to remember about contentment. If you're not content with what you have, you will not be content with what you want. Because contentment is not a disposition. It's not just a reaction to life situations. Contentment is a, a skill. It's a choice that we make. Contentment is the ability to, in the midst of what I have right now, I can experience joy. I don't have to wait till the next stage of life. I don't have to wait till I get the next thing or the next bonus or raise or whatever or the next job. I can be content right where I am. It's so important for us to grasp this idea of contentment because sometimes what happens is that people, they start thinking, I'll be content when, and you fill in the blank. A young person says, I'll be content when I get married. And then they get married and they say, well, that wasn't quite everything I need. Now I want a kid. And so they have a child and they think, oh, I'm going to be content when I have a child. But, well, that didn't quite work. And, and so the whole work of child rearing uh, kind of takes a toll on people sometimes. And they say, I can hardly wait till my child goes to school. And so I'll be content then. And then they go to school and that's great. But, you know, when kids get a little bit older, you're taking them from here to there and everywhere. And you say, I'll be content when they can drive for themselves. And so they drive for themselves, and pretty soon you, you end up saying to yourself, I'll be content when they move out. Uh, just this, sometimes we have this sense of, it's always the next thing. I'll be content when I retire. I'll be, I'll be content when I get this new job, or I'll be content when I reach this milestone in my life. Just contentment is elusive. There's always a promise in the desires that contentment is present when it isn't. And so we must be very concerned, I think, about saying no to desires because sometimes our desires become so strong that they rattle relationships, they create problems in life, and we must know how to live within the limits. The limits are usually aren't things that, and we, we always can look outside of the limits. We wish we could. But God is saying, let's learn to live within the limits. All right, let's pause there for a moment because uh, we need to talk about another kind of contentment. Because I think in the midst of this passage, we're learning we need to live within limits. But there's, there's sometimes when God gives us a, what we call a godly discontent, it prompts us to grow more. In fact, there's, there's some sense in which we're always interested in growing more in our lives, getting to know God more, hungering for righteousness, as um, Matthew says in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking for something more in our lives. And so there's a godly discontent that will move us either to grow or to take on a mission. We're going to learn about it as we start the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 1, God gives Nehemiah a godly discontent. He looks at his life and he says, hey, I'm working in the palace here. What a great job I have. But my people back in Jerusalem are hurting. I'm going to leave where I am now and I'm going to go and help them. Do you see the godly discontent that exists sometimes? You have to evaluate whether the, the contentment or the godly discontentment is what God is doing and needs to do in your life. Because sometimes God is saying, I don't want you to be content here. This is not where you need to be. I want to take you to something bigger. I just want to have said that. So we have a balanced understanding of this passage. We're going to talk about that more in three weeks. But for today, we want to look at those, those, those wants and desires that really uh, promise something that God doesn't doesn't want us to go in that direction. He doesn't, hasn't opened the door for that. So there's sometimes our desires are misplaced. They're misguided. They get us going in the wrong direction. And that's what we're talking about today. Let's be careful about the desires that take us outside of the realm of contentment 
Nima Tshaka, stay within the boundaries. That's what we're talking about. And he says it's a secret. In other words, we're saying it's a key to life. This is one of those things you really need to know. You're not born with this. You're born with a desire to accumulate. You're not born with a desire to be content. It's something that uh, is learned. We'll see in just a moment. But I've tried to define contentment, and this is just a rough definition regarding what we're talking about in this moment. I'm describing contentment this way. Contentment is the ability to experience joy in what you have. Right now, where we are. Instead of requiring more or better to experience joy. When we start saying, I need this to experience joy, or I need to get out of this situation, or I have to have this decision in my favor, when we do that, then we find ourselves in very difficult places. Well, Paul now, he uses the word learned. Do you see that there? Learned. He uses it there, and then he uses it again down further in verse 12. I have learned the secret. It's something that um, we're not born with. It's a skill. It's not just a disposition that is determined by other things in our lives. Just because you have things doesn't mean you're going to be content. But it's a skill that we learn. It's something we, we, we learn how to have joy in the moment. I really appreciate um, Tom Shuck, my friend from, from years ago. He would say this about, about uh, things. He said, I have a lot of things. A lot of them are in my house. But some of the things I have, I leave at the store. He says, I go visit them every once in a while. What he says is, I go to the store and I see something I really like, and I say, I like that, but I don't have to bring it home. (laughs) I like that. He says, so a lot of my stuff is out there in stores, and I go out every once in a while, and we just look at those things, but I don't have to bring them home. Uh, I find that that's an example of this idea of contentment. It's something that we learn in our lives. We're able to stay within the boundaries so that we don't find ourselves going outside of the boundaries Because here's what happens, young people, keep this in mind. Young people often want to go outside of the boundaries, the limits that are present in society, family, God's laws, in order to find freedom, or to find pleasure, or to find identity. And so they want to go outside of the boundaries that that are present there. And, And when they do, they often find themselves in places where they didn't intend to be. There are many young people who make decisions during their teen years that affect them for the rest of their lives because they didn't stay within the boundaries. They had to go outside of the boundaries. Most people who smoke learn how to smoke during their teen years, and then they find themselves trying to get rid of that habit for many years afterwards. During the teen years, people can make decisions that alter their lives. Someone might have a child without being married, and and it just changes the whole course of their lives. There's real benefit to being able to stay within the limits, and the temptation to go out of the limits always contains a promise that something's going to be better. I'm going to get some satisfaction out there. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's a mirage. Don't think you're going to find something out there that's going to satisfy you. You want to be satisfied in this place. And Paul says, I have learned. I've learned to be satisfied in all kinds of conditions. And learning that is very important for me because that is a secret to life. That's what he's saying. So keep in mind, this is something we practice. It's something we learn. We aren't born with it. Uh, we grow through it. And notice it's very interesting to me that he takes this idea of being hungry as an example. I was pondering this this week because when I'm hungry, I'm not very content. And so now he takes this biological problem of being hungry and he's somehow he's saying, I've learned to be uh, content with uh, plenty or, or hunger. I started pondering that a little bit because uh, what he's saying is that there's a biological problem going on 
but there's also something going on inside of the heart. That the, the two are linked. We call the time before mealtime in a home the piranha hour because you've got people are hungry and they just start being mean to each other, irritable, annoying. And, and, uh, and so this idea that there's a biological problem, can I be content even though I'm hungry? And that's kind of pushing the limits, I'm thinking in my own mind. When I'm hungry, I don't feel very content. But probably what I need is more than just a biological solution that is more than just some food to eat. Maybe I also need to evaluate some things that are going on in my character. Maybe this is why fasting is such a valuable spiritual discipline. Because when we're fasting, we're saying no to food. We're saying, you don't control me. I'm not just going to satisfy every whim that I have with food. I'm just going to eat whenever I feel like it. I'm going to fast for a while. And when I fast, I'm able to say no to these desires, physical desires. And in the course of that, say yes to God. There's something very valuable about fasting that takes place. This idea of a biological problem having spiritual solutions is an important one for me because I work with parents, and sometimes parents come with a biological problem. Let's take attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, okay? It's a biological problem that a child experiences. And sometimes parents think, wow, biological problem, we need biological solutions. And so they, you know, want to change the diet, they want to take medications. I think all those things are fine. I'm not against medication. But let's remember that a child who has an anger problem, we don't want to just blame it on the fact that they have ADHD. There's other things going on, and there are spiritual solutions that also need to come to the forefront as well. If, if I have a rash on my body, that's a biological problem. And you know, if you, your, your arm is itchy and, and you've got this rash, you feel irritated, annoyed, and, and you're more likely to lash out at someone. Well, I think what, what we're learning here in this idea of contentment is that there are some character building, there's some spiritual strength that I can have inside to be able to deal with the pains of life and be gentle and kind and responsive to other people without feeling like, oh, I've got to get some, something for this or I'm going to have a problem. Paul is saying something here that's, um, I think, pretty difficult. It's learned and maybe it's kind of advanced spirituality that I'm going to be content even when I'm hungry. I'm going to be content in plenty. I can be content when I'm hungry, he's saying, in abundance and need. Those are the words that he's using here. Just really hard, I think. And that's why he puts this next verse in there. This is the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the verse that you uh, might see in the Christian school weightlifting room. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or when I was four years old, my parents taught me this Bible verse, and my dad says, put your muscles up, show me your muscles. Now tell me the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think that's great, because what, what it says is that God gives me the ability to do all kinds of things that are outside of my own strength, because I have God's strength. So think about the possibilities. But let's just look back at the context for a moment, because the context is about contentment. So when I start saying, I can't live this way anymore, I, I can't do this, I have to have this, I can't do without this, Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's the strength that God provides for me so that I can manage the trials that I face in my life right now. So it's not appropriate for me to say, I can't live without this. Or I can't live unless this takes place. I need to be able to be content in the midst of all of those things. Well, now I think we're getting to a little bit of advanced spirituality. Or I think we really have some work to do here to learn this and apply it to our lives. 
There's one more word that's used in the next, in verse 19, I just want to point out. It's the word supply. You can write down plerao. It's the Greek word plerao. It means to be full or complete or satisfied. That's what the word means. It's important because, see, when we have wants, we feel like we're incomplete until we get this thing. And those desires uh, um, trick us into thinking, I have to have this or I'm not going to be complete. Yet what this verse says is that you can be complete. You can have everything you need. He says, and my God will supply. He will complete you. He will supply every need of yours according to, and this very interesting phrase, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This superpowers that God provides. That God wants to give us something bigger than what we have now, and it's not in things, it's not in, in achievements, it's not in uh, solving a problem. There's something we can have right now, and that is this joy, this riches in Christ Jesus that he provides that gives us the strength so that we can manage and handle the challenges that we're facing right now. I believe that the greatest problem that God solves for us in our life is the need for freedom. He wants to give us freedom in our lives. And so when we come to the place where we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, He comes in and the first thing He does is He frees us from the penalty of sin. And that just frees us inside of our heart. Now I don't have to carry around my guilt anymore. Now I can move forward. I don't have to be weighted down. Some people, people describe when they get saved, it's like a weight lifted off their shoulders. That's what we're talking about here. It's the freedom we have in Christ from the penalty of sin. But it's not just that. As soon as we receive that forgiveness from God, we can turn around and we can look at someone else and we can say, I forgive you. Instead of being in the cage, okay, the cage of resentment and revenge that we put ourselves in, that bitterness that makes this cage for us because we want to hold on to our anger. We want to say, if I let go of my anger, it means the other person can go free. No, 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 no. Or my anger is not the penalty for that person. My anger is not the, the sentence that they have to endure because they did the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing. They're going to have to suffer the consequences of that. But me putting myself in a cage about that? No, I don't have to do that anymore. Now I can forgive, and now I have the freedom to not carry around the justice, personal justice, against that person. I let God take care of it. God just gives us freedom now. I don't have to be in control because I'm saved. I'm saved from the need to be in control, and so I don't have to worry about tomorrow because God will be there with me with his riches of glory in Christ Jesus. He'll be there with me tomorrow. I don't have to know everything about the future because God is there in the future with me. When I get there, he'll give me the grace for that. It's this freedom that we experience in our lives that God wants to give us. I think that all of us need that. We all want to enjoy the, the freedom that God has for us. It's our greatest need, and God fulfills that greatest need. And I think that's what the passage is speaking of. He says, I don't want you to be, to be in this place where you feel like always have to have something else in order to be content. No. No, there's a, something you can learn right now. You can learn, and, and when you do learn this, you have this freedom in Christ that's so great because of these riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is such a beautiful passage. One of the ways we do this, I think, is to kind of free ourselves up is in worship. We come to the Lord and we worship Him. And each time we do that, when we come on Sundays, that's one of the reasons we come is to worship the Lord. We come together and we worship because it reminds us that I've got what I need in Jesus. That He takes care of all the hunger issues, except I hunger for Him. I want more of Him, but it allows me to just enjoy God's grace in a bigger way. 
So we worship the Lord, and that worship draws us into this riches of glory in Christ Jesus, which then gives me the power, the strength, to live in my current life, whatever the challenges are, and enjoy today. Today is a beautiful place. It's the present. It's what God wants us to be able to appreciate in our lives. Would you stand with me, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to you and ask that you would, um, you would teach us. This is something we learn, obviously, Lord, as we're asking you to teach it to us. Teach us, Lord, in the midst of our challenges to be able to enjoy you. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us understand how big you are and, and the riches of your glories in Christ Jesus. We need that to live our lives every day. So, Lord, now as we worship you, we acknowledge your greatness. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. You can learn more about Calvary Chapel Living Hope at TakeJesusHome.com.